Hi guys, this is Doug Fletcher. Welcome back to What's the Hazard? This is our podcast about workplace safety and health. Uh, today we've got two guests. Uh, we're actually Skyping in from Cincinnati, Ohio, which is, this is a big day for me. This is the, actually the first time that I have ever Skyped, to my knowledge. Can you be Skyped without being aware of it? I'm, I'm not sure you can, but um, uh, so this is very exciting. And I, um, this is an episode I've been looking forward to for quite a long time. Uh, we are speaking with Scott Bruick and Josie Ehlers uh, with NIOSH, the National Institute for Occupational Safety and Health out in Cincinnati, Ohio. Um, they're going to tell us all about NIOSH, but um, just in a nutshell, uh, having been an OSHA person for quite a long time, NIOSH is what we refer to as the smart people when I was with OSHA. They are the researchers, the scientists, uh, the investigators. They do um, more sophisticated investigations, perhaps, uh, at the request of employers and employees. Um, and they'll talk all about that. But first of all, Scott, Josie, thank you very much for joining me today. You are, you're very welcome. Hey, man. Yeah, it's great to speak with you. This, this lends instant credibility to an otherwise, uh, you know, suspect podcast. So... Um, I do appreciate that. And um, I think th- I think my listeners have probably all heard about NIOSH, frankly. I think, you know, um, NIOSH comes up in discussion. NIOSH comes up in presentations that I've given in the past when I was with OSHA. But I'm not sure everyone really understands what you do and how you do that. And so I thought today we would just kind of talk about NIOSH and, and the services you offer and, and things to that effect. So if you wouldn't mind, could you just uh, both give us just a brief introduction about yourselves, and then we'll go ahead and get started. Is that okay? Sure, that'd be fine. Awesome. And and to your point, to your point, Doug, that's one of the things that we've. I've been yeah, I've been in the safety and health field for many years, and I've been at NIOSH for uh, going on eighteen, almost nineteen years. But one of the things we found is to, what you mentioned is that there's confusion with regard to the differences between OSHA and NIOSH, mm-hmm. and so we do yeah we do tend to need to explain differences between our agencies as people uh, tend to get them confused. Partially, the names are somewhat similar. Mm-hmm. Absolutely. So, there's some confusion in that part. Um, or sometimes they kind of blend in together and it becomes NIOSH. And we, and we have, yes, <laughs> right. we've heard that as well. And yeah, there there are some similarities in our mission, and then there's some very uh, distinct differences in, in the mission of the two agencies. But I'll, I'll introduce myself sure. first, and then Josie uh, can introduce herself and maybe give a little bit of background on NIOSH and um, what we do with the Health Hazard Evaluation Program. So, uh, like you mentioned, I'm Scott Bruick. Um, I'm a, a senior industrial hygienist here at, at NIOSH uh, with the Health Hazard Evaluation Program. Uh, I've been here since 2001. In fact, I started the day before the 9-11 event. So oh I started gosh. on September 10th, 2001. Wow. And then, um, yeah, everything kind of went crazy uh, the next yeah. day. Mm-hmm. Um, so I've been here since then. Prior to that, uh, I was at, uh, at, in the state of Georgia at uh, Georgia Institute of Technology oh, with, yeah. the, with, the, uh, with the OSHA consultation program for the state of Georgia. I was there for 11 years. Um, and I had gone there directly from my master's program at University of Cincinnati, and I had a master's in industrial hygiene from, from UC. Okay, so like wow. I said, I've been doing this for a number of, a number of years. And uh, one of the things I'll mention... Um, I remember a long time ago going to the industrial hygiene conference and hearing, um, and I don't remember which conference it was, but hearing a couple of, of old-time industrial hygienists, people had been in the field for many years, and they just had a session, an hour-long session, in which they told stories that they've accumulated over their career. And I thought, oh, well, how cool. And this was, I was young in my career at that point, and I thought, wow, that is really neat. And now I've reached the point where, <laughs> right. I, I hate to see that I'm old, right. but- I have reached the point where I've accumulated stories um, <laughs> just from experiences. Isn't that funny? So it is a, I mean, there's uh well, it's kind of a nice feeling to have stories yeah. to tell. And so now this is, this is an opportunity to tell some of those stories, man. Can that's, tell, yeah, we can tell a few stories. That's exactly why we do this. And, and go so on. that's interesting. So Georgia Institute of Technology. Yeah. So they are a big player, man. I mean, even as a guy practicing industrial hygiene here in Nebraska, I've had interactions with the Georgia IT folks, um, just, you know, highly regarded group down there, uh, one of the big players in consultation. And then NIOSH, man, you've had a, that's a pretty illustrious career for an industrial hygienist. Yeah, I, I feel, I feel very fortunate 
you know, with the career path that I've stumbled into, if you will. Mm-hmm. Uh, and my path to Georgia Tech was really somebody that had gone to UC previously was the uh, was a senior industrial hygienist there and had reached out to University of Cincinnati saying we need to hire you know, we'd like to hire an industrial hygienist and that was really my path there. Um, so I feel very fortunate because nice. I worked with exceptionally smart people there. Oh my gosh! At, yeah. uh, at Georgia Tech and likewise here at NIOSH, uh, I have the opportunity to continue to learn new things. Right. You know, after almost thirty years in the career, so. I, I feel fortunate uh, to have that opportunity and, and I, I definitely appreciate it. Yeah, that's awesome, man. So I don't know if you know this or not. I started um, my industrial hygiene career in Columbus, Ohio at Defense Construction Supply Center. It was a defense depot, part of the Defense Logistics Agency. And uh-huh. I'd gotten out of graduate school. I was at Ohio State and I got out of graduate school. Actually, I should say the Ohio State University. I apologize. Yes, yes, as, as and, they say around here. Exactly. And, um, I went to work uh, out of graduate school, and I, my graduate degree was in biochemistry, and went to work uh, as an entry-level industrial hygienist at DCSC, and then I spent a lot of time down in Cincinnati. Actually, uh, DOD was you know, capable of sending me to a lot of training, and I think I did a lot of training down in Cincinnati at the NIOSH facility. So, man, we, we were probably, and I've been doing this about 30 years as well, so we were probably starting at about the same time. Probably around the same time. And yeah. NIOSH used to, we don't, we no longer do those training. They, uh, they stopped doing that. Oh gosh, it was probably 15, 20 years ago okay. now, I believe. Uh, but NIOSH had a very active training center here yeah. in Cincinnati. A lot of people went to it. Um, and then for, I think for budgetary reasons back in, oh, I don't even remember what year, um, back in the early mid nineties, they stopped doing the, uh, the, the training yeah. courses, oh, which was a boon for the OSHA training Institute. I'm sure. Because we did that, we did OSHA training institute classes at Georgia Tech and continuing ed classes in safety and health. So when NIOSH dropped uh, their training programs, we actually picked up additional folks that were, you know, would have otherwise may have gone to the NIOSH uh, training center. So yeah, very cool. It worked to our benefit at Georgia Tech. Yeah, nice. Well, Josie, tell me. Uh, I, I know you're a well-educated person as well, an industrial hygienist, and uh, we actually crossed paths briefly. You were in Omaha for just a short time working with OSHA, and that was after I had left OSHA, so we never had an opportunity to work together. I'm sure I would have enjoyed that, but um, tell us a little bit about your background. Um, sure. Um, as, as you had mentioned, I was with OSHA for just about a year, right under that, and I was an industrial hygienist there. Um, I, the Omaha area office has some really great folks working in their industrial hygiene Um I guess group Phil is hilarious. Mm-hmm. I still really like talking to Phil. Absolutely. Um, and then I've moved into NIOSH kind of on the other side of the coin. And I've been here for about 10 months. And it's great. Um, I'm part of the health hazard evaluation program with Scott. Um, I'm an industrial hygienist. We're the folks that actually go out and evaluate um, exposures within the workplace. So it's been mm-hmm. great. I think my career at OSHA, my limited time at OSHA has really been helpful in this capacity because I have a little bit more, um, I can do a little bit of the safety too, which has mm-hmm. been really helpful. Oh, definitely. Definitely. And I think we'll talk a little bit about that. We had, uh, talked about that before getting started today and, um, you know, that overlap with safety and industrial hygiene. So I'll tell you what I know about NIOSH. Um, and it'll be very brief. Uh, you're part of the CDC, uh, and obviously the CDC is plastered all over every, media outlet right now. We're all turning to the CDC for guidance on this coronavirus issue. Um, and they're incredibly timely in posting that information. Uh, you're part of the Department of Health and Human Services, if I'm not mistaken. Mm-hmm. So you're not part of the Department of Labor, as is OSHA. But you were, NIOSH was created uh, as a directive in the Occupational Safety and Health Act when OSHA was created. Is that true? That Yes. Yeah, that's, that's correct. Back in 1970, when... Right. Uh, when uh, President Nixon signed that into law, that it created the, both agencies. Right. But it was all you're all part of the Occupational Safety and Health Act of 1970. And so, so uh, Scott, you alluded to this in the beginning. There are distinct differences between OSHA's mission and NIOSH's mission. Um, give us an idea what those differences are. So, well, do you do you want to? Sure. Um, or, yeah, Josie. What well, OSHA. Yeah, OSHA is more of the regulatory arm of the Occupational Safety and Health Act. So their mission is to enforce the the federal code. Um, we have a little bit different mission where we're um, 
where we're actually evaluating emerging issues within the occupational environment. And so um, part of our directive is we want to empower workers and employers to create a safe and healthy workplaces. In doing so, we can make recommendations on how to reduce exposures within the work environment using a variety of, of resources. Um, what's great about us is we kind of try to stay on the leading edges of things as they come out. So we, we have a little bit more, um, I guess our recommendations are a little bit more stringent and a little bit more um, more in line with with the current status right. of of exposures. Mm-hmm. Yeah, and and looking at just things more holistically, yeah, overall, yeah, NIOSH was designed as a research agency, so to identify yeah, causes of of yeah, occupational health hazards, safety hazards that might be might be occurring across the workforce identifying those causes and then providing, as Josie alluded to, providing recommendations on, you know, what, what are good practices, what are appropriate practices mm-hmm. to, to uh, address, address those concerns. Mm-hmm. So it is, it is research oriented. And then also, you know, part of our mission is to try to get out information. So we have, you know, if, if folks look at the, the NIOSH website, I mean, we have a, a quite a lot of documents on, really across the broad spectrum of safety and health topics from indoor environmental quality to hospital health and safety, uh, hearing loss, welding. It's, so it's a, it's a broad spectrum. And, so and I use a lot of your documentation. Yeah, I, I yeah. continue to use NIOSH publications and refer to right. those. And I thought, it's, I think you make an interesting point. I mean, the regulatory agency OSHA is, you know, kind of anchored by the rulemaking process. It, it's often slow, if not you know, arduous. And as you said, NIOSH, you have the latitude to be a little bit more timely with application of current research and information in your recommendations. And, you know, um, I, I, uh, yeah, I, I think that's really interesting because so many of my clients and part of the reason that I called in the first place to, to ask about your availability to do this was that I work with a number of clients that are struggling with uh, some of their some of the regulatory issues and and permissible exposure limits and things like that, uh, and so they need you know current timely information and that typically does not come from OSHA unfortunately, you know that's more the domain of NIOSH and and organizations right. we, like that. We yours. have the yeah we have the luxury like like you like you mentioned um, OSHA that's a if they want to develop a new standard I mean there is a a very set rulemaking process that that involves uh, uh, having a period for public comment, having meetings, uh, committee meetings, and and it has to go through Congress, of course. Right. So we don't have those those restrictions, if you will, mm-hmm. on if if we find that yeah, you know, we feel that there needs to be a different exposure limit for a chemical uh, or substance than OSHA has, we don't have to go through those same uh, through the same procedures OSHA has. I mean, we do. Anything we do, I mean, we do have extensive oversight uh, internally and reaching out to to external stakeholders, researchers, to make sure that what we're providing to, to the public is appropriate. Mm-hmm. Uh, so that's really we do that. So everything is science based and it, it sounds science. Right. I think that uh, is real. That's really important. Yeah, I think that's you know critical. I, you know, if you want to be compliant, you can certainly refer to the OSHA guidelines the, or the requirements, the PELs. Uh, but if you want to provide uh, an appropriately safe work environment, uh, you probably need to look beyond OSHA, frankly. And so NIOSH is a resource for that. And as you said, the recommendations that you are offering the public are, are uh, research-based, science-based recommendations, stakeholder involvement. Um, I th- so I think those are important and very sound uh, benchmarks or, or goals, perhaps. You know, I mean... I think companies that recognize that the old the OSHA PELs may not be protective enough need to have a reliable resource uh, to look to those, you know, perhaps uh, more stringent guidelines. And so NIOSH has always been that that source, frankly. Right. right. And what I found, I did my internship, and this is back in 1990, uh, 80, or yeah, 1990-89-90, uh, to Procter and Gamble here in Cincinnati, mm. so that's yeah, that's a recognized company, large company. But their internal exposure limits, so they would have internal exposure limits, were uh, 10% of the OSHA PEL for most most chemical substances at at the time. Um, 
So they looked at what yeah, what OSHA had, and and of course OSHA is the is the legal requirement. Mm-hmm. But they thought we're going to go be below that. Part of their rationale was looking at well, at some point in time, uh, OSHA might modify a PEL. They might lower it. But also, we might find research from NIOSH or or other agencies. Other researchers might might identify that an exposure limit well below the OSHA exposure limit is appropriate and is going to be more protective against health effects. Mm-hmm. Health effects. So they're partially looking at it from a legal perspective as well. Right. Um, if research is suggesting chemical X has health effects at fifty percent of the PEL, and that's well known, uh, I think larger companies that well any company perhaps. But they might recognize that you may, we may have some legal culpability if we don't meet best practices. Right. So I think right. that's part of their motivation for going above and beyond what, what, what uh, OSHA has. Well, I think definitely. And I think that's played out in the courts. I mean, particularly with OSHA citations and penalties, um, you know, in the presence of PELs, but also in the presence of information that would suggest the PELs are not adequate. I think companies need to be aware of that and take steps to address that. I think there is some responsibility on the employer's part to be aware of that and uh, and utilize those those recommendations. I think that's been established in at least in, in you know in front of the review commission that that uh, employers need to be aware of that at least and and considering those things when they're setting those uh, parameters for their companies. So mm-hmm. <clears throat> we set this up about a month ago and. At the time, I hadn't really anticipated talking at all about corona, coronavirus transmission or, or guidelines, and I don't want to spend a lot of time on that. I think people are just inundated with information right now, and, so, and there's a lot of good available information, but it almost seems like I have to talk about it. Oh, you'd almost be remiss not to mention it at all. So why is it, I don't know if you guys have done any research on this or not, but why is it that I cannot stop touching my face? Um, you know, the minute I, I think you'd have to, uh, I, the minute I was told, more. stop touching my face, uh, I started itching terribly. So this morning, for example, I printed off a document. I'm in my office. I printed off a document, went to the, the printer to recover the document. It was about five pages. I could not get the pages apart, of course. And I fought my, the urge to lick my fingertip for about five minutes I could not get the pages apart. And now I was just obsessed over this, but don't lick your finger. So I actually stuck my finger into my coffee to yes. wet my finger enough to separate the pages. I mean, this is just, I mean, things are just really uh, at a fever pitch. I shouldn't even use the term fever probably, but yeah. things are going pretty quickly here. There's a lot, a lot of information being disseminated. Um, a lot, certainly a lot of, I would suppose, misinformation and misunderstanding. It's really an interesting time. Would you? It is. And, and we're uh, CDC and NIOSH, of course, are, are involved with with response efforts. Um, and what we're what we're doing is, you know, when when people contact us with questions, you know, people r- related to occupational, you know, occupational settings. I mean, the guidance that CDC has put out on its website are that is going to going to be the most current guidance, and we're referring to that guidance when right. we're instructing people. Now, we are in the process of putting out some some guidance documents, uh, perhaps related to with with a focus on uh, occupational settings. Okay, good. Uh, particularly healthcare, but CDC already has guidance for healthcare. But but we are looking at. Uh, Putting out some some guidance documents related to occupational settings, like I said, and OSHA, I, I believe, has already done that, and and other other organizations are probably doing that as well. So right. yeah, as yeah, as we gain more information, uh, we will be having, I suspect, we will be having some more uh, documents and guidance on what people in occupational settings might what they might want to do to address concerns in their, in their workplaces as more and, pe- more, and more people have questions and as, yeah, as this uh, pandemic progresses. Um, and because it's novel, we don't know at this point, we don't know how, what's going to happen with the progression. Right. I mean, it, can go, it can go down several different pathways, and we don't know because it hasn't happened before. I right. mean, this isn't the same as influenza. It's different. Uh, there could be some similarities, but there could be differences. Mm-hmm. And uh, so, so where, where where is that information available? Is it NIOSH.gov, CDC.gov? Where, where should people go to find that information? 
So if people just searched, um, if people just searched NIOSH or search CDC in the uh, search bar for Google or Bing mm-hmm. or whatever search engine they're using, they should be able to link to it uh, pretty readily. Okay. Yeah, that's really that's interesting the, because yeah. um, I have been inundated, gosh, the last two weeks probably, clients and other people in my contact list asking for guidance on uh, workplace you know, occupational settings and what they should be doing to prepare, whether they need to put some kind of a response plan together. I know OSHA, as you said, OSHA has posted a guidance document. They generated a document pretty quickly and posted that. I'm sure it's just plagiarized from the CDC information uh, or NIOSH information, but OSHA has posted that. I think there was a little bit of, um, I don't know if panic is the right word, but there was a lot of concern generated when OSHA posted um, on one of their fact sheets or, or their uh, topic pages, information about enforcement related to coronavirus. And it's, it's no different than any other circumstance where we don't necessarily have a standard in place or a regulation to turn to. You know, it's kind of a, a combination of record-keeping practices, um, general duty issues, things like that. But it really generated a lot of concern in the, in the regulated community. They were calling, what do I have to do? What do I have to do? Um, very similar, you know, preparedness and uh, program development to any number of other uh, general duty types of issues. But, man, I think, um, you know, people are, are um, struggling with this issue. So I think that the, the, the guidance being provided by NIOSH and CDC is the place to go if people have concerns about this. Well, obviously yes, they have I concerns, agree. but excellent. Okay, well, um, yeah, I really thought that was interesting. I don't want to dwell on this too long, but I actually went to the grocery store last night, uh, which was a horrible (laughs) misjudgment. You know, I stopped. uh, I've got a son home on spring break. Uh, He's a big kid, likes to eat meat, so I stopped to get some meat. And there wasn't a parking place available in the entire parking lot. And this is a huge Hy-Vee grocery store. I got, and that should have been, I should have just turned around immediately and driven through McDonald's to get some meat-like substances, you know. But, so, um, I, I, but I went into the store. Uh, I found like the one remaining cart and gosh, you know, sign number, I should have stopped. And I went in and started picking up items and it was crazy. Um, I think in large part because so many of the local schools here have suspended classes. You know, they have deferred to kind of an online educational process for the time being. So there are a lot of kids home. And so I think people realized they just needed to stock the shelves, but man, it was interesting. And yeah, uh, it's sim- it's similar here. The uh, and certain items were missing. I I need I I needed to go to the grocery store last <laughs> night to get yogurt and bananas for my youngest daughter. She's she's a sixteen year old, uh-huh. and uh, she likes both of those. So I was successful in the yogurt. Uh, bananas were there was not a banana to be found really? in the store, but it was <laughs> interesting to see what was you know what was gone and what wasn't. Is gone. there some pota- benefit they, to potassium or something that? I don't know. I, a run yeah, on I don't bananas? know what it is with bananas. I didn't realize they were as quite as popular as they are. So <laughs> well, um, I did have to. I did have to wrestle away some carrots, right? Yeah, carrots were gone as well. <laughs> oh my gosh! All the bananas, carrots were gone. Well, I came in so today. I guess in Cincinnati, oh Cincinnati people like bananas and carrots. Well, those are carrots. healthy choices, probably. I mean, yeah. in Nebraska, I mean, I think there was no ice cream left, or probably the the liquor department was pretty barren. I think, you know. But no, I shouldn't say that. You got to be prepared, right? Exactly. But I did. I did almost come to blows with someone in the toilet paper aisle, you know, over that last package of toilet paper. Oh well. So it's not. Yeah, so that's not unique to Cincinnati. It's not just Cincinnati. Our, our, it is. It is. Yes, our our store was uh, completely empty, so there was nothing to fight over. <laughs> <That's> <laughs> there, right. there was not a shred on the uh, isn't, shelf. Isn't uh, that remarkable? I, I mean, as a yeah. as a healthcare person, as a researcher, I mean, you must just you must just find this remarkable the psychology and the you know those elements as well as the actual health issues. It really is an interesting situation. It, yeah, it. it it is very much so. Well, let's get back. Let's get back to uh, NIOSH and what you guys are doing. So, the Health Hazard Evaluation Program, I find that really interesting. Um, talk a little bit about that. You know what it is and what how we generate a health hazard evaluation, those kind of things. Because I don't think any of the people that I work with are familiar with that. And I know it has come up with one of my clients that is um, 
being challenged by a particular exposure issue in their plant. And so I suggested, and Josie and I had spoken about this, I suggested they contact you guys and they, they were really very unfamiliar with it. So I would love to hear more about that. Sure. Um, I, I guess I call it our HHE program, but to be clear, HHE stands for Health Hazard Evaluation Program. Okay. And it really is a tool to help employers and employees learn about health hazards in their that are present in their workplace. And as I kind of alluded to earlier, we make recommendations on how to reduce hazards and to prevent injuries and illnesses. And so our health, our health hazard evaluations are done at no cost to employees, unions, or employers. <clears throat> and um, part of that, I guess I should kind of um, let you guys, I guess, go with them. Um, so what are, our, what are our goals for our HHE programs? And it's to provide assistance in uh, evaluating emerging uh, topics within the occupational environment. And then to raise awareness. We do that through our communication efforts with our, uh, with our public information reports, which okay. you can find on our website. So um, employers, current employees, and employee representatives like union officials can request a health hazard evaluation. We also receive technical requests for assistance from local, state, and federal government agencies. Some examples would be like health departments. We've received requests from the United States Postal Service, the National Park Service, Department of Ag, those sorts of entities. Okay. Um, and they basically can submit a request to us. For employees to submit to submit a request, we have to have three current employees, and they can submit the request anonymously. So if they had a, a con, if they had a concern about a work condition or, or a chemical that they were working with, they can submit a request to us, and they can do it online. We actually have a if they Google or I guess if they search for um, NIOSH HHE program, it's pretty easy to find, but you can submit a request online. As I said, it, it has to be three employees and they can remain confidential. We get requests from union representatives too. Mm -hmm. And so for a union request, they can, they could submit a request as just um, one person. So we kind of treat those like a management request okay, or an sure. employer request where we don't really need to have, you know, multiple um, requesters. But so they can submit a request online or fax it into us. And then they, the people that are my senior leadership, like Scott, they kind of go through a triage process where they, um, where they kind of decide how, um, I guess the severity of the request, how immediate is the need? Do we think that there's going to be a site visit? Um, I don't, I guess I, I am affected by the triage process, but I'm not involved in it. Well, I can, I can mention just what mm -hmm. happens when, like Josie said, uh, really the easiest way to get to access the HHE program is, is through the NIOSH website okay. or the NIOSH HHE uh, page on our website. So if someone searched NIOSH HHE or NIOSH Health Hazard Evaluation, they would reach our website and then there's a link to requesting an HHE. I think the easiest way to do it nowadays is just to do, uh, there's a link to an online uh, request form. Okay. So that's probably the easiest way to do mm -hmm. it. But we sometimes will get a request by email, uh, sometimes rarely by fax anymore, every once in a while, or somebody can, there's actually a printable PDF form that people could fill out and mail it back to us um, okay. or, uh, or, or send it by email back to us. But what happens when we get a request, um, our, our management, our team leads and our branch supervisors, our supervisory staff will meet every Tuesday and Friday uh, and we'll take a look at the requests that have come in and then we'll at least take an initial triage of those requests. So we approach a request one of two ways. Um, if, if it looks like this is a, a well-recognized hazard, we have a lot of information about what needs to be done to address the concerns that, that are uh, indicated on the request. Um, we may respond to that requester um, with, with a letter detailing, these are the things that you need to do. Um, if we feel that uh, a site visit is necessary to really, to really get in and take a look at what's going on, uh, maybe do exposure assessment, uh, then you know, we would go down that pathway and do, a, do a, an actual site visit. But in all cases, our initial contact, we will initially make contact with the requester, no matter what our plan is to talk with that talk with that requester on what are your concerns um you know, what's going on basically mm -hmm. let's find out what's going on um what's been done up to this point uh 
and then on the basis of that, uh, that's part. You know, on the basis of that, partially, we're going to make a decision on what is the appropriate uh, course of action. You, know, what are the next steps, essentially? Okay. Yeah. Like I said, can we send you information that this is? We know exactly what you need to do to correct right. this hazard, um, right. or we need to. You know, we need to get uh, more information that, and that's going to uh, require a site visit. Okay. So interesting. Our, our so initial call always, yeah, always starts with the requester. So, One thing that I really love about the health hazard evaluation program is it's kind of a multidisciplinary approach. So we work with physicians, epidemiologists, industrial hygienists. In certain circumstances, it's appropriate to include folks from our engineering teams. And having that, that, that I guess, multidisciplinary yeah. approach is really cool because it allows cool. us to really delve into a topic. Right. Yeah, I, I love that, that too. One of the, that is one of the one of the really big advantages that we have, perhaps over, you know, what other, um, uh, certainly over what, what OSHA does and, and what over, you know, other, other uh, resources that are available. We have, you know, we have really the entire institute at our, yeah, available to us if necessary. So like Josie mentioned, if we feel that we need to look at uh, engineering controls or ventilation systems in particular and have a focused look at that, you know, we can reach out to our ventilation engineers and identify what um, help identify what does the company need mm -hmm. to do. Mm -hmm. um, if we need to, if we need specific expertise that we don't have within our within our branch, we can reach out to other folks within NIOSH or CDC that might have that expertise. I mean, in general, we're able to handle things with the staff that we have, mm -hmm. but it is it is nice knowing that we have additional resources available to us if we need it. So, I mean, I always look at look at these projects or these HHEs as you know, we're going to try to do what we need to do to address those concerns in an appropriate way. Right. I, I, I think that's fantastic, actually. H having been a field hygienist for OSHA for a number of years, uh, I was the IH supervisor for a while in Omaha. Man, you know, those IHs are out there on their own you know, kind of on an island and making those decisions by themselves for the most part, it's really unusual for OSHA, almost exclusively for some type of catastrophic issue or fatality to involve um, expertise from the national office, perhaps. I mean, that's really rare. And so, unfortunately, I think, you know, a lot goes unrecognized, perhaps, and I'm not, I'm not trying to discredit the industrial hygiene program in OSHA, but and if you're the one person out there doing the evaluation, there are things that are missed, you know, and that's unfortunate, I think. So to have access to that many different experts is really unique and powerful. It's, it's a luxury. Yeah, it's, it's mm -hmm. quite a luxury for I, us. I love that. Um, and so how many requests do you get? You were talking about triaging these, and I, I think it's absolutely uh, – I think it's really cool that you can identify something that you're very familiar with and provide information, perhaps that the employer hasn't seen before, or had access to, and you can resolve it. It's kind of like an informal or the non-formal investigations we used to do with OSHA. Um, things are brought to our attention. We provide information. They do the corrections. Everybody's happy. Uh, we go forward. Um, you can do the same thing. You say, this is something we're very familiar with. We've got good guidance on this. You know, try these corrections. Let us know if it works. If you're still having trouble, get back with us. That that do you address most of the issues that way? Well, Josie. Well, Josie had one in particular recently with the uh, sewer gas odor yes. that you were able to <laughs> you were able to uh, just really address the issue by talking with them over the phone. Nice. Yeah, it's, and um, it's really so, nice to be able to get people to that point. You know that that these aren't real. It's not rocket science. It's just logic. You know. So when we have sewer gas, we know what it's associated with. And I actually, in that circumstance, I had them provide me a layout of their floor plan. Mm -hmm. And we were able to kind of look across the floors and say, okay, well, we know for sure this is a huge, um, you know, uh, exhaust cat or exhaust vent for the toilet system. So mm -hmm. having them, having them kind of see it for themselves and think, oh, okay, maybe I should get a plumber out here. Cause I think a lot of it is just, it's, um, anytime you research something on the internet, you have a, ch there's, there's often the opportunity to kind of get stuck in these rabbit holes and to kind of right. take a step back and to think about, okay, I smell this, but, um, but it's, it's not, um, 
I mean, circumstances differ, but in that particular situation, it was kind of interesting because right. they, they were able to get their problem, their concern addressed themselves. So we didn't have right. to do a site. Yeah, visit they were frustrated. It. They were frustrated. Sure. And yeah. You guided them to, to get a plumber out. Yeah. And I think it was related to that exhaust vent, wasn't it? Mm-hmm. And so it was, it was solved easily. I mean, they, exactly. and much faster than it would have taken you know, if, if we were trying to schedule a time to go out there right. and take a look at things. Mobilize so, a team out there. Know, absolutely. Yeah. Well, and, and for employees, giving them some steps to bring to their to their management of okay, well, these are some things that we are that we should be doing that we aren't doing. Definitely, because sometimes it's just it's easy to to just it's easy to kind of to not do all of those steps in in the right order or to mm-hmm. skip a few. Right. And each one is equally important. Well, that was kind of the um, you know back in the day, Scott. You will remember, and Josie, perhaps you will. I know you're significantly younger than the two of us, but. I remember back in the day, uh, indoor air quality was, uh, this was even before I went to work for OSHA when I was with the engineering firm. We did a lot of indoor air quality investigations. I think it was probably a NIOSH guidance document that basically directed the steps in most indoor air quality assessments. And it got to the point where you could typically talk someone through those steps over the phone without having to go on site. I mean, we were kind of cutting our teeth initially by going on site and doing those evaluations. But it reached a point where they were very uh, systematic. You know, the evaluation was very systematic and they could do them, walk them through them and typically resolve them without having to go on site and do testing that may or may not be relevant, you know? So um, yeah, we, it sounds and we similar. Did, you, well, you, you, you asked about how many requests we get per year. General, right now we're getting a, a little over 200 per year. Uh, it's less than it had been. If you go back 10, 15 years, I think we're getting closer to 400. So okay. it's decreased somewhat over time. Uh, the size of our staff has decreased over time, you know, just with with budget issues uh, related to that. But yes, we do we do get a lot of indoor environmental quality uh, requests um, in general. Just overall, just a couple of pieces of information that yeah, uh, I want to share with folks listening. Um, in general. Uh, we don't recommend doing um, air monitoring for mold. We get a lot of requests. People are concerned about oh, mold. Oh, my gosh, uh, yes. So I would say of the IEQ requests, you know, probably more than half of them are related to mold. So we don't recommend doing air sampling for mold because in most circumstances, uh, you know, what research has found, what we found is uh, mold is pretty much ubiquitous. So if we sample for it, we're going to find it. Right. That doesn't help us. That doesn't right. help us. Um, with what to do. And regardless of what we find, we're going to recommend if it's an issue related to mold or moisture in the workplace, we're going to recommend identify why is there moisture there? Is it a leak in the roof, what are, uh, walls, wherever? Identify where is the moisture coming from and then fix that. Let's keep moisture from getting into a, into a building right. where you, where it develops into mold. So um, yeah, that's, that's a situation where in general, we don't need to go on site. Yeah. Every once in a while we do for IEQ. We had one a uh, few years ago at a, uh, a university research hospital. Uh, and one of the things we found there was they were complaining about odors, um, at, at odd odors um, from animal like smells. Well, so it turns out the top floor of this, it was a seven-floor building, eight-floor building. The top floor had a, a veterinary research lab. And so in our process, we actually did an on-site visit. But one of the things we found was the exhaust coming out of that uh, that floor was being re-entrained directly into the intakes of the air handling system. So we found a pathway. So, <laughs> yeah, so it, we don't, we're not always that successful. In it, but we found the pathway for this could explain some right. of the um, some of what's going on, and then we found air pressure differentials yeah, between rooms and things like that. Right. But I, yeah, I don't want to belabor too much on IEQ, but um, that's yeah, that's one of the things that, that we're able to do when we do a, a site visit is sometimes identify and work through things right. that are the company is struggling to to successfully uh, do on their own. That's fantastic. Uh, and I've seen that same circumstance, that reentrainment issue is, uh, you know, sometimes the the designers of these buildings don't take those things into consideration right. appropriately. Well, and this was a this was a building that was an old building and it was modified 25 years ago. It, uh, 
space was added onto the building, right. and then it was uh, more recently more space was added on. So that that's a challenge for the ventilation engineers to redesign to so, to make sure everything works successfully, or even anticipate twenty years later what they're going to be using that seventh floor for. Exactly. Yeah, what they're going to be using probably for, wasn't part of yeah. the initial design criteria, yeah. but. That is really, I, th- I think those are fantastic. I, uh, you know, I probably made a bad career choice when I went to OSHA instead of uh, uh, someplace like NIOSH, because that sounds really interesting to me. And I hated getting screamed at all the time when I was with OSHA, but. I know, yeah, we don't. <laughs> you know, you guys don't get screamed happy, at. How yeah. nice for you. Um, yeah, so if you are. get 200 requests, would that be total requests a year? How many are on-site visits are you actually doing approximately? Probably, and I, and I don't know the exact number. I think. If, if my memory serves correct, I think probably around 40 to 50, okay. and that varies year to year depending sure. on the request, but probably at least 25%, 30% of those um, are on-site visits. It, it might be a tad more than that. Um, so are you still, kind of so let me ask you this, are you still, uh, do you still go on-site, Scott, or do you just send underlings? Uh, I still do. It's less so now that I'm a team lead, right. so yeah, that has decrease somewhat That's too bad but i i do like to it, it it's important to get out in the field you get rusty so you got to keep speak. your skills you sharp absolutely yeah so let yeah, me ask you, you this rusty. are you still finding cool stuff oh absolutely yeah absolutely um and you one of the things we talked about beforehand and and we're i think we're getting a little short on time but um yeah we um we had a project uh, a few years ago, and I wasn't the lead project officer in it, on this. One of my other, one of the other team leads, although he wasn't a team lead at the time. Uh, but we had a request from the Texas uh, State Department of Health. They had identified a person with uh, an individual with uh, silicosis, mm-hmm. worked for a uh, stone countertop manufacturer, uh, developed right. stone countertop. So right. that was the first. That was the first known case of silicosis um, that had been a, occupational silicosis related to that industry that had been identified um, in the U.S. Um, most likely, there were cases before that. It's just they hadn't been they identified. Hadn't been identified, sure. So yeah. I mean, oh, that was the fantastic. process where we we did a site visit um, at that company. Um, one a, a couple of interesting things with that is, you know, for silica, we want folks, you know, we want to keep. We we want to keep the generation of dust at a minimum. We don't want any dust generated right. if you if you do if you're working with sand or in this case uh, engineered stone mm-hmm. or natural granite natural stone uh, countertop material. So this company they were using wet wet methods. So they had handheld tools. <laughs> they all had water supply. They they so everything was wet methods. They were doing wet cutting. Nonetheless, we still had we still had some overexposures to to silica. Uh, even even with that. What, so uh, just out of my personal curiosity, what range are you talking about? Maybe two times the PEL? What what are we looking at when you're talking about it this? Was, it wasn't it wasn't uh, substantially over the PEL, and I don't have the table right okay. in front of me. Because I find um, that same they thing. Were, it, yeah, it was over the PEL. It wasn't a huge amount over the PEL. Right. Uh, and I'll just, yeah, I, interesting. Yeah, we can talk right more about that me. some other time, but that's interesting um, to me. So that was one of the interesting things that, that we found. Um, and so, and, but they need to do something to drop that, right? I mean, yeah. in addition to so the wet methods, the things, they've got to... Yeah, one of the things we were looking at, and in addition to a health hazard evaluation, separately, another NIOSH researcher was working on a specific project to reduce um, silica exposures. So he also participated in the process and had some ongoing relationship with this company. Uh, so one of the things they were recommending uh, or that he was looking at was in addition to wet methods was also ventilation in addition to the wet methods okay. uh, might be appropriate. Mm-hmm. Uh, sometimes they were finding that just the way the water flowed into the handheld tool was affecting the water might flow toward one side of the tool when they were using mm-hmm. it. Uh, the water flow might not be um, equally distributed across the face of the of the tool, Interesting. like a, a, a grinder mm-hmm. or a polisher. And so that could affect how much is getting into the air. But, you know, we always talk about wet methods, and that is the appropriate course of action. Mm-hmm. But even then, uh, sometimes, you know, sometimes you can have uh, problems develop. Right. Well, wasn't there some concern about using the vacuum in tandem with the wet method because it was... Well, and yes, I mean, so one of the things that our researcher looked at was 
more like a ventilation booth, doing the work in a booth where you're mm-hmm. where you're directing or pulling the airflow in a direction away from the employee. But there is concern about a a an exhaust uh, exhaust ventilation at the tool uh, that that could affect the the flow of water or right. have an effect on um, on the system as a whole as well. Interesting. Wow, that's fascinating. I find that fascinating. I don't know about anybody else, but um, I find that really interesting. I've done a lot of silica sampling, both in industrial settings and construction settings. And what you've just described is very common. Um, water application to saws, you know, block saws and, and in the masonry world, things like that. Uh, and still overexposures. They're typically 1.5 to 2 times the PEL that I've found, but they're still over the PEL. And I don't know if people realize it or not, but OSHA's position on that is very inflexible. They say that you must utilize feasible engineering and work practice controls to get below the PEL uh, without Mm -hmm. exception. And so uh, most companies will throw some water on something or they might, you know, put a fan behind something and consider that they've done ventilation and work practice control and then throw people in PPE and uh, OSHA doesn't view it that way. I think people are oftentimes quick to assume that they've done everything feasible. And so having a resource like NIOSH to help evaluate uh, feasible alternatives is really, uh, mm-hmm. really important. I, I don't think people, I, my intention now is to double your workload uh, next week. <laughs> <clears throat> so I hope you're prepared oh. for that because that, that is a resource. And I wasn't aware that that was the process, frankly, after 30 years of doing this myself. So yeah, that's fantastic. Well, and, and folks, and, and, and folks, you, they might invest a lot of time and or money into an engineering control, and you want it to be successful. And it's mm-hmm. it's disappointing if you find that you put in a control measure and it's not successful, particularly if you've you've made a major investment into it. So yeah, we that's one of the things that we also you yeah, have the capability of doing. Yeah, companies put in controls. Yet yeah, is it working like they want it to work, or do they need to need to make some modifications to it? To you know, to reach you know, to be able to to succeed in reducing exposures. I mean, overall, I mean, we we don't want people to be exposed. We don't want them to have to use PPE if they don't need to. Uh, it's a lot easier to control right. it with engineering controls right. uh, than than PPE, um, and a lot more successful long term. Oh, absolutely, absolutely. Yeah, we want to avoid that if at all possible. Um, guys, we are running out of time. I personally would like to just continue talking, or maybe we can do another session sometime. Um, the take-home message for me is that you are a resource available to employers and, as you said, employees, union representatives, different agencies, government entities that I don't yes. think most people are aware of or certainly don't utilize to the extent that they could be utilizing you. Um, so I'm going to encourage that out here in Nebraska. I would love to have you guys come out and visit Nebraska a little more often and do some work out here. Um, I know I have a few well, clients and, that are actually. Josie's from Nebraska, so, so yeah, she I said there's a. Love that. She needs an excuse to get back here. Nebraska, Who, exactly. Nebraska nice out there. People yep. are Nebraska nice. That's <laughs> right. all about that. <laughs> Nebraska nice. Oh yeah, I'm sure. Oh yeah, I'm sure he's heard plenty about that. Um, but to add to that too, um, on our website, you we have you can look for our past reports. If you have concerns about a particular exposure or, or chemical or substance in your workplace, you can search and look at everything that we've done thus far on that specific topic. I mean, one of the great things about NIOSH is we have so many tools at our disposal. When people tell me about NIOSH, I'm like, the cool thing about NIOSH is it's like, it would be really cool if they had X. Well, we actually do have that. And that's, I I guess, for me being um, in industrial hygiene and kind of starting out my career in this path is it's it's amazing to have all these tools at our disposal. And one of our tools is our people. I mean, Scott has so many cool experiences that we talk about. And to be able to share that with your listeners is, I mean, for me, I think that's that's amazing. Yeah. Uh, that's a good point, Josie. Our on our on a NIOSH HHE website, people can search for uh, any any topic that they're interested in, if they have a concern about silica or noise or manganese, uh, mm-hmm. welding fumes, can search for a previous report. And maybe we've maybe we've had a site visit to a similar type of company and at least can give people some initial insight onto what we found and what we recommended. Yeah. That's, oh, that's excellent. That That is really fantastic. And as you said, we talked right before just going on air here that there are the, the health hazard evaluation 
uh, reviews also include some safety considerations, other things. So it's not just industrial hygiene necessarily. There may be associated risks or hazards that you identify during the process of that evaluation that go into the reports. Oh, yeah. So. yeah, absolutely. The, yeah, the, the countertop manufacturer I went to, I, I had identified a number of safety hazards uh, in there and I included those in the report uh, for folks to, to learn from that might look at that report, not, not only for the company, but other folks that might download and take a look at that report. But we had a lot of, yeah, we had some electrical safety issues. We had some uh, people having uh, heavy items hoisted eight, 10 feet above the, above the ground. Right. So, um, yeah, I included that information in the report for for uh, to help out the company as, as well as others, like I said. Oh, that's fantastic. All right. So, so guys, thank you very much for the time. I know you're incredibly busy. Um, I'm sure everybody in NIOSH and CDC are incredibly busy right now. But that is fantastic information. Uh, I would like you to prepare for the onslaught because uh, <laughs> I am going to be out there promoting your services, your information, the website. Um, I think that's fantastic, and it certainly sounds to me like an underutilized resource. And so, uh, it's my intention to change that for you. So, yeah, um, we're happy. To, we're happy to help wherever we can. Now, let me ask you this: Do you guys have any? Are you guys like discriminatory against like hiring old guys that might be? I mean, what's the <laughs> no. what's well, the age I'm limit? I'm still working here, so. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> right. I think it sounds fantastic for a. Uh, Particularly a new, aspiring, you know, up-and-coming industrial hygienist. What a better, I mean, I can't imagine a better uh, proving ground, an opportunity to learn your trade. It sounds like a great, yeah. great career I, choice. I agree. And, and even for experienced people, like I said, I learn new things all the time. No doubt. So which is, which is yeah. part of the Where beauty of this that? career. I think you're yeah. right, Scott. I, I totally agree. I love this profession uh, in large part because of the opportunity to continually learn new stuff, man. It's, it really is exciting. So, um, guys, uh, I think it's time to go get some Cincinnati chili or whatever it is you're going to get uh, for lunch. Um, is that the four-way inverted? I forget exactly how that. Well, there's a three-way, four-way, five-way. But yeah. they, so they, they put the chili on top of spaghetti, right? Yes, indeed. Yes. Works? You know that's what I'm talking the, about? That's the only okay. way to serve it here. Exactly. So, yeah, I miss that. I, you know, I lived in Columbus for about 12 years and, uh, you know, I, I love it here in Nebraska, but I do miss certain things about, uh, Ohio. So, yeah, um, yeah, there are, there's, there's some unique features. in Absolutely. Ohio. Uh, Scott, Josie, thanks again for your time. I appreciate it. Um, I hope maybe we can do this again sometime. Uh, sure, in the meantime, sure. thank that'd you be, for, that'd be, that'd be great. Thanks for everything you're doing. Uh, we really appreciate it. Um, you know, it's incredibly important work, and uh, I think everybody that, that benefits from what you're doing uh, sincerely appreciates it. So have a, have a great weekend, and uh, guys, thanks for listening, and I'll talk to you again soon. A Parkville Media Production.